0: Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see all of you. Good to be in your midst. Good to have all of you joining us live stream this morning from your homes, wherever you are joining us from. We welcome you to the Oasis this morning. And I have a couple of things. We got so much going on. Uh, so I just want to remind you that starting this Wednesday, okay, we're going to be starting a new series in the book of Genesis. I want to encourage you that if you can be out on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock to come, I don't care whether you've been saved for 50 years or less than a year, this study will increase your understanding of your God. And that's what it's all about, its growing in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So encourage you to do that. Uh, next Sunday night, we're going to be starting up the second season of The Chosen, And as Mike talked about all those other ways that you can come together as a church family, that's another opportunity to come next Sunday night and uh, be here to watch the second season of The Chosen. Also, don't forget those of you that would like to be baptized, I need to meet with you either September 19th or September 26th, one of those two Sundays, right after the morning services. And yes, I'll be meeting four times. Once after the 9 o'clock, once after the 11, once after the 9, and once after the 11. But I need to meet with all of you. If your children want to be baptized, then I need at least one parent or guardian there at that meeting with your child, okay? So please be aware of that as well. And then last week I told you about the offering that we're going to be, that we're taking up for Pastor Ola Chea, a dear friend of our ministry who had an aneurysm several months ago and has not been able to pastor or preach, and they have many bills, and they have a lot that they're pressing in on them. And I want our church to just let them know, not only monetarily, but just spiritually and emotionally, we're with you guys down there in Mexicali. And so, uh, just like we do with our offering, that's between you and God, Uh, If you have an offering that you would like to give them, just drop it into the offering. Uh, Just mark, designate, for Pastor Olachea and family or the Olachea family uh, to differentiate it from the Oasis offering. We also have a way for you to do that online. So if you go to our website, you can also donate to them through our website as well. All right, I'll save the other stuff for the end of the service. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are in the midst of a sermon series called Made to Multiply, all about discipleship. And we're using the book of 2 Timothy as our model because no one exemplified what a discipleship relationship should look like any better than Paul and Timothy. They were brought together by God so that together they could be more than they ever could have been apart. And that's what God wants to do with all of us. He wants to bring us into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. Then he wants us to start on a journey of spiritual growth. And then through that growth to hook us up with a few other Christians throughout our Christian life that we can mutually encourage and strengthen and and comfort each other and, and encourage each other and be that iron that sharpens iron. And that's what we see through Paul and Timothy. Jesus said to his followers to go into all the world and make disciples. But you and I can't follow through with that command if we're not a disciple ourselves. We cannot reproduce in others what we've not experienced. We cannot pass on to others what we haven't yet received. So part of this series is sort of calling everybody at the Oasis to be a disciple because all disciples are believers in Jesus Christ, but not all believers in Jesus Christ are disciples. That's another level. So, God is calling people to be disciples. Another thing God is doing in this series is just encouraging those who are already disciples to just keep on walking the road of discipleship. And what does that look like? And then obviously God wants to use this series to begin to get us to be open to God either bringing someone into our life or God bringing us into somebody else's life, that we can start to develop that Paul-Timothy type of relationship, and then God can use that relationship and partnership to bless other Christians on an even greater scale. I hope you got all that, because I don't think I did. It, it, I, I got to be honest, it, it, it's a little strange for me today. I, I've got so many mixed emotions up here today. Obviously, you, you know this. This is the end of a season for our church. Um, we need to pause and just soak this up and savor this today because this is the last time we're going to be together as one for a couple of years, and even when we get back together as one, it's going to be in a different building. It's not going to be here anymore. Um, so I'm excited. God's got great things for us, but it's never going to be quite the same ever again. And that's a good thing, but it's still like, wow, it just hit me this past week. I got all emotional. I know that's hard for you to understand, but (laughs) Pastor Jeff never gets emotional. So here's what we want to do today. This passage that we're going to look at today, really, Paul is telling Timothy, you need to prepare your people in your church because he says, difficult days are here. And yet he, in between the lines of this passage, he's saying, but the difficult days that disciples live in should never deter us from thriving as Jesus' disciple. See, our circumstances and the the culture and the climate that we live in should never deter us from thriving no matter how difficult it is. And I want to point out, first of all, the difficulty, if you will. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul says to Timothy, understand this, that in the last days, by the way, last days started when Jesus Christ arrived on earth the first time. So now we're 2,000 years past the beginning of the last days. In the last days, difficult times will come. Boom, he says it. We're going to talk more about that. Why are they difficult? Well, he lists all kinds of reasons why. People are going to be harder and harder, if you will, to get along with. And there's going to be a lot of lack of character and lack of integrity, which is going to make navigating life a little bit more difficult. And then if you go down to the end of verse 3, notice he says there's going to be so many who are opposed to what is good. We're going to be, as Christians, especially disciples like salmon swimming upstream because there's going to be more and more opposition to what is good. God is good. Therefore, they're going to also be opposed to God. Then if you go down to verse 8, it says that they are going to be those who opposed Moses, whose names were Iannis and Iambres. Yes, in the Greek, a J is pronounced with a long E. I know, doesn't make any sense, just like our language does not a lot of times, right? These could have been the two court magicians in Pharaoh's court that caused the rods to turn into snakes like Moses did, we don't know for sure, but here's what we know. These two men opposed God's appointed leader. And then if you go down to the end of verse 8, they also opposed the truth. And who is the truth? Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Also, we're going to look at a verse next week, but I want to bring it up this week. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, Yes, and all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So difficult times are coming. No, they're here. There's going to be more and more opposition to what is good, more and more opposition to the truth, more and more opposition to spiritual leadership and spiritual authority and, and... Anyone who wants to truly go after Jesus and pursue him, they're going to face persecution. This is the difficulties, right? But Paul, in between these verses, these lines, he's also laying out for Timothy. But again, none of this difficulty should ever deter us as disciples from thriving, you see. And I'm going to give you four reasons why we can still thrive in the midst of difficult days and difficult circumstances. Our lives are personal with God. Our lives are powerful in God. Our lives are passionate for God, and our lives are prioritized through God. Let's first look at the first one. Our lives are personal with God. And I think you'll see as we get into this what I mean by that. I'm talking about relationship. I'm talking about walking with God relationally in in intimacy, in contact, in communion. Notice again, back up in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, but understand this. The word understand means to become acquainted with God's perspective on things through close contact with God, through through learning, which is what a disciple is. In fact, the word disciple literally means a learner, one who's teachable, one who's humble, but also one who is willing to be in close contact and learn from someone. Well, the first person we should be learning from before we learn from others in the body of Christ is to be a disciple, and a learner of God, and to begin to understand the heart of God and the mind of God by walking personally, relationally with God. In fact, in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus is appointing his disciples, and the Bible says he appointed them after he called them to be with him. And the words with him means to accompany him wherever he went, which would result in a change in their life after being with him for such a long period of time. That's why Jesus' discipleship ministry with these 12 men lasted for three years. And they weren't just with him at, just you know, periodically, like, you know, we get together once a week or twice a week. No, they were with Jesus every day. And they weren't just with Jesus in the formal teaching times and miracle-working times. They were with him just when they were eating together. And they were with him when they were just walking up and down the dusty roads, And they were with him whenever, they were were with him when, when they were sleeping together and camping, if you will, together and going around the Holy Land together, wherever God led them. They were always with him. And it was the idea that they were just always with him that they began to absorb what we need to absorb as disciples. As I've said many times, faith is caught as much as it is taught. And that's what we have to understand about discipleship. And it all goes back to that relational thing that we have with God. It's a relationship. It's not religion. It's not rule-following. It's a relationship. It's a living, breathing relationship with our living God. And the more we walk with him, the more he imprints and, and makes an impression on our life. I'm gonna go back to something that some of you younger people won't even know what I'm talking about. Old-fashioned typewriter. I used to sit there as a child and play on my grandmother's typewriter, right? And and, and those of you that know what I'm talking about, you know it had the the, the ribbon of ink. And depending on how, you know, new the ribbon was, you, you wouldn't have to hit the key, and you could get a nice, strong mark, right? But I used to like to just sit there and just, you know. And, and, and what I did notice about that was, even if the ribbon was weak and it was old and, and it was very faint at first, the more I hit the key the more it got darker and darker and darker. It was like you just kept hitting it and it kept making an imprint, an impression, if you will. That's what God wants to do in our lives. But it has to be that continual contact that we have with him, and then we apply that same relationship to a few relationships in our life, like Paul and Timothy, where they have constant contact with each other, and where the more they get together, the more and the deeper that impression and imprint is. Now, I want you to contrast that with something else you see in this passage, and why, again, we're going to be a little bit different. Paul's using an example here in verse 6 of spiritual predators who are actually spiritual counterfeiters who seek to to get people to follow them rather than to follow God. Now, he is in this example, because I think these folks were in Timothy's church, which is why he's saying it here. He literally is saying that there's a group of women that fall into this. Listen, Paul's not ganging up on women. Paul's already called out a couple of men here, Iannis and Iambres, okay? He's an equal opportunity caller-outer, okay? But in this specific example in Timothy's church, here's what he says. Some of these insinuate, verse 6, themselves into households and captivate weak or vulnerable women who are overwhelmed with sins, led along by various passions. And such women, here's the part I want you to get are always seeking instruction. Here's what that means. They are always learning key facts. Okay? So keep that in mind. Because well, isn't a disciple someone who's learning? Yes, yes. A disciple is a learner, but not just with our head. It's, it's got to be with our heart. It's got to be about what I'm learning is drawing me closer to that relationship that I have with God. And that's where it's got to be head and heart. These particular women that Paul is mentioning here, they're always going to Bible studies. They're always maybe in church. They're always accumulating head knowledge about the Bible. Uh, And this is why I tell even parents, parents, be very careful Uh, of how you're bringing up your children, that it's not just about memorizing verses and knowing facts about the Bible, because there's got to also be that encouragement that all this stuff that is important to know has to end up with you having a love relationship with your God. And it's got to be about a relationship, not just about head facts. And so often in many churches, especially churches like ours where many of you come because you love the Word of God and you want to grow in your knowledge of the Word of God and there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. We love it. But make sure that what you are learning is landing somewhere and where it's landing is that you're drawing closer to your God relationally through your absorption of this knowledge. Because notice what he goes on to say about these gals they never are able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Literally, they never touch down and make contact personally with God. There's no relationship there. There's no growth of a relationship there. They know the Bible. You could probably ask them Bible questions, and they would probably be able to give you answers to those Bible questions but it never lands in a relationship with God. As I thought about this concept, again, going way back to ancient history, I remember as a child, one of the big fascinating things for me that I'll never forget was watching us land on the moon in 1969. And the big thing was that, you know, we'd orbited the moon several times. That was not going to be the big deal unless those astronauts literally took that lunar module and finally landed on the moon. And I can remember even as they were having trouble, it was like the lunar module was hovering above the moon. But until that thing went down and literally made contact, you need to make contact, right? Right? And that's what Paul's saying about these particular people. He says they're, they're like, they're always hovering, you know, above it, and, and, and they're in close proximity to it, but they never literally make that step of making contact with God. They never arrive. You know, it's sort of like how frustrated maybe you've been on a trip at some point. It's like, are we ever going to get there? I can remember the first time my parents told me, we're driving to see the ocean. Now, obviously, I had seen the ocean in pictures. I'd seen the ocean on television, but I had never personally been at the edge of the ocean. And there's something obviously different about seeing the ocean and literally being there on the beach and just looking out over that expanse of water. And yet I can remember driving there And even as a kid, I was one of those weird kids. I I enjoyed, like, counting down the miles to places. I just never thought we were going to get there. And then finally, I started to see, like, the horizon and the water out there. It's like, finally, you get out of the car, and you get on the beach, and you put your feet in that water. It's like, you finally arrived. You never thought you were going to get there. Folks, that's the way many people are with God. It's like they live their whole life sort of like, hovering above God, but never really landing and making that relational connection with God. The reason why you and I can thrive is because we have personal contact with God. Second, our lives are also powerful in God, and that's how we can thrive. Not just personal with God, but powerful in God. The word difficult, In verse 1 of 2 Timothy 3 is a very important word. I don't want to bore you necessarily with the Greek language, but it is the word chalepas. And the reason why I want to say that today is because it's a very rich word that's got lots of meaning. It means it's hard to do, it's hard to take, it is hard to bear. So Paul's saying... Days are difficult. It's going to be hard to do these days. It's going to be hard to take these days. It's going to be hard to bear these days. But here's the rest of the definition of that word. Through a reducing of strength. So please hang in there with me. This is important. Paul's not just saying that the days are difficult because the times get more difficult. Paul's saying that primarily the reason why it's harder and harder for people to navigate the times in which they live is because we get weaker as human beings. We're not stronger in our God. We are developing a bunch of generations of weak Christians who cannot navigate the times in which we live because God is saying, it's not going to be easy but I can give you the power through me, the strength through me, to be able to navigate these times and not just endure them, but thrive in them. But you got to be strong in me. Otherwise, the days in which you live are going to be so hard to take, so hard to bear, so hard to do and to navigate because you have no spiritual strength to be able to navigate these days. Think about it even in light of verse 5 where he says, there will be many people who will maintain an outward appearance of religion. Let's stop there. for That's exhausting. Can I tell you, that's exhausting trying to maintain an appearance of being religious and spiritual without any inward reality. That's That's exhaust, and yet there are many people, that's the way they live their life. There's really no inner power there from God. There's no inner reality of God, but they feel like they've got to, like, put on an air, and, and put, put out, you know, something external. And so they do all these things, and they, they go all these places, and all of this, and they fill their lives with all this to try to appear outwardly and externally to other people as if they are really religious and spiritual. Yet notice what Paul says. They will have repudiated its power. One of the marks of the last days, powerless religion. And when I talk about powerless religion, I'm talking about a people that can have no expression of strength that only comes from God. The kind of strength that Paul's saying is lacking in many people today, which makes the days even more difficult because it's not that the days themselves are any harder than than maybe they've been In past, you know, as far as times go, my father lived through the Depression. He talked to me about how hard it was to not even know whether you were going to have something to eat that night. That's pretty difficult. I've never had to deal with that, okay? So there have been other times in history that are really difficult. But Paul's saying, as each generation goes on, instead of people getting stronger... People are weaker, and they cannot handle the times in which they live through a reduction of their own spiritual strength. They might maintain an outward appearance of being spiritual and religious, but Paul says they cannot express God's power because they don't have it. They have no reserve there of God's power in their life. And so when something happens in the world, something happens in our country, something happens in their own life or in their family, they don't know how to deal with it. And we are seeing this play out all over the world today. See, Paul's saying, but when you're powerful in God? You can do all things, right? Isn't that what he said in Philippians 4, 13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Living by God's power. David, when he was going through a really difficult time in the Old Testament, in fact, his own men, the mighty men of David, wanted to stone him at this point. The Bible says in 1 Samuel that David drew strength from the Lord his God. You see, David drew strength from God. That's how he was able to get through that difficult time. That's how Paul says he could do all these things. Keep your finger in 2 Timothy. And go back to the Old Testament book of Proverbs with me for a moment, to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10. Pretty straightforward verse. If you faint in the day of trouble, your strength is small. The word faint means to withdraw, to retreat, to shrink back, to step back. The word trouble can mean adversity, distress, pressing circumstances. Strength is the capacity to navigate life. That's what strength is. The capacity to navigate life is very small, very limited, severely hampered, if when adversity comes, I don't know how to deal with it. And I either retreat, I withdraw, I shrink back, I step back. See, God wants his people, his disciples, to be not only personal with him, but to be powerful in him. I'll give you one more. If you go back to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 78, verse 9. Psalm 78, verse 9. It says, The Ephraimites were armed with bows. These were battle-tested warriors, right? But notice what they did in the day of battle. They retreated in the day of battle. The day when they were should have been full steam ahead, they cut and run. And this was the Ephraimites. Let me just take a second and remind us all about the Ephraimites. They were like first amongst equals as far as the tribes of Israel went. Joshua was an Ephraimite. The Ephraimites were granted the land of by God that housed the tabernacle for 300 and some years in Shiloh. That was where the Ark of the Covenant was, in the land of the Ephraimites. If anybody should have known God and been able to be strong in God and drawn their strength from God, it should have been the Ephraimites. And yet the Bible says, in spite of all the advantages that God gave them, places like Shechem, and Shiloh, and and all of that, they retreated in the day of battle. The people of God retreated in the day of battle. That's because they were not powerful in God. You and I can thrive no matter what the circumstances because we can be powerful in our God. We can grow stronger and stronger every day. Paul said to, the, or to uh, the Corinthians, though our outward man is perishing, our inner man can be renewed and become stronger and stronger every day. That inner strength that allows us to push back and push against the pressures of the day, we can hold up to whatever the pressure cooker is when you and I are strong in Jesus Christ. Another one we see in 2 Timothy, if you'll go back there, is our lives are passionate for God. That's how we can thrive, through our love for God above everything else. I want to point out a couple things beginning in verse 2. Notice again some of the characteristics of the last days. He says in verse 2 of 2 Timothy 3, people will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. Then notice verse 3 first word. They will be unloving. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 12, that in the last days, because sin abounds, that the love of many will grow cold. That's a very descriptive term, isn't it? A world that gets colder and colder. And then notice verse 4. A people who love pleasure rather than loving God. Literally. People who love pleasure pleasure more or better than god and by the way that choice is based on value or worth that's an indictment isn't it that even in the church even christians will say hmm my pleasure or god well i think i'm going to choose pleasure over god wow Because to them, their personal pleasure is of greater value and worth than God is. Pretty sad. Pretty sad. You see, love is a discriminating affection. Let me repeat that. Love is a discriminating affection. It means that if I'm going to love this one or this thing, it means I've got to say no to so many other things. Because if I truly love this one or this thing, I have to make that the priority. That is of greatest value and worth. And that means I can't necessarily fill my life with all these other things that could pull me away or distract me from my greatest love. That's why love really is a choice. But it's not just a choice of our will. It's a choice of priorities, which leads me to the final point of the message today, and that is our lives are prioritized through God. That's also how we can thrive even in difficult days because we have personal contact with God because we can be powerful in God And because more than anything else, we have a passion for God. That our love for God is what drives everything in our life. That we love God more than we love anything and everything else. But here's the other thing let's take that love for God and make it the priority that also means that I can't prioritize any other thing in my life correctly until I get the first one prioritized right. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. Let me for a moment, though, remind us of some of these verses about love for God and the priority that God should hold in our lives. Matthew 6, 31. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Priority, right? Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, I think it's chapter 24, one of the people comes up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And here's Jesus' response. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest That's the highest priority, that one, you see. Maybe that's why Jesus, in the book of Revelation, saying to the church at Ephesus, you've left your what? First love. The first priority should be God. In the Gospel of Luke, there's that great story of Jesus and Mary and Martha. You know the story. Jesus is at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Martha is serving, and she's all frustrated and discombobulated and all of that. And Mary, her sister, has chosen to be at Jesus' feet. And again, not that Jesus is against serving. Not that Jesus didn't appreciate Martha was out there making a meal for him and his disciples. But when she comes in and complains that her sister has not been out there in the kitchen helping her, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, It's about priority. And Mary has chosen the best part now because he says only one thing is absolutely necessary and needful. And Mary got it right. Mary got the right priority. The kitchen and the meal and all of that could wait. But spending time at my feet That's got to be the priority over everything else. See, priority. Now, it's only when then, as disciples, we truly make God the priority that we can prioritize the rest of our life correctly and properly. That's why I said my last point is we can thrive when we prioritize our life through God. God has to be first priority. Then and only then can we begin to see correctly from God's perspective what our other priorities should be. This is where many Christians, we struggle because we're not always making God the top priority and then we're trying to figure out the other priorities of our life, yet we haven't gotten the first one right first. It's only when you prioritize through God that we get the priorities right the way they should be. Otherwise, we end up like a lot of what's going on in this passage. We start to love pleasure more than God, and we start to get caught up with With money and the things money can buy over prioritizing our life to be more about, less about material things and more about filling our spirit and our soul up. And and we start to become more about us than about maybe the sacrifices that you and I need to make to continue to be a disciple of Christ. Because that's why Jesus said, all you need to do to be a believer is accept me by faith. Just trust in me and what I did on the cross for you and my subsequent resurrection, and you will be saved. But in order to be my disciple, oh, you've got to be willing every day to deny yourself, to say no to self, and to take up your cross and be willing to follow me. And that's where the separation comes in the church, in the body of Christ, amongst Christians. Because we're all saved if we're Christian. But not everybody's a disciple. Because every Christian hasn't yet made God the priority. Jesus comes first above everything else. I think what God wants to do at the Oasis is he wants to keep calling people to discipleship. He wants more and more people who come through these doors to say, I'm going to put you first, God. And by me putting you first, I'm going to then allow you to help me to help others and encourage them to put you first too so that I can build a church full of people who put Jesus first. Because here's the great thing. When you and I are living the way we should as disciples of Jesus Christ, It doesn't matter how difficult, how challenging the days get that you and I live in on earth. Doesn't matter. That's not the issue. The issue is where am I spiritually? How healthy am I spiritually? Am am I living? personally with God in a relationship where I'm walking with God every day and drawing near to God as he draws near to me and getting closer and closer to God? Am I living powerful in God that the the, the power I live by every day is not my own? It's the the God power that, that he's pouring into my life and that I'm passionate for God that that I'm just becoming more and more in love with God and my love for God is what drives everything that I say and do and even lead to the priorities of my life where God is above everything and my love for him is above everything and I put him first. When you and I live that way, it's not going to matter what the world does. It's not going to matter what's going on. You and I will thrive as disciples of Jesus Christ. I'll say one more thing, and then I promise I'll close. Part of the reason why Jesus said all these things to his own disciples is he knew the tough days that were coming for them. He knew that they were going to have to see him hanging on a cross and dying. He knew that the day was coming even after his resurrection where he was going to go back and ascend back to the Father, and he wouldn't physically be with them, even though he was going to send the Holy Spirit. He knew that in those early days of the church, Rome and the religious leaders of Israel were going to pounce on the early church, and, man, they were going to make it beyond difficult for that early group of Christians. And unless that group of Christians were totally sold out to Jesus Christ, then they weren't going to make it. And the church was going to die in the first century. And you and I wouldn't even be here today if they weren't strong in their God. Well, guess what? I think God has the same mission for us today. We may live in a different time of history, but God says, I still got business here to do on this earth before my son comes back. But I need a group of strong Christians that I can work through. That's who I'm looking for, who have the right priorities, the right passion, has the power of God in me, and they're living every day hand in hand, glove in glove with their God. Is that our desire? Let's pray. God, we thank you today that you're calling us out, God, to not just believe in you, but to follow you, to be a disciple, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, to put you above everything and anything else, Lord, in our life, to make you the priority to seek first your kingdom. And God, I believe that that's what you're doing here at the Oasis Church. You're saying, I'm looking for a church. I'm looking for a group of believers who will put me first in their life, Jesus first, that they will pursue God more than they'll pursue anything else. It doesn't matter if the world is going after pleasure more than God. It doesn't matter that the world is falling in love with money and material things more than spiritual things that when you and I have our priorities right, we can thrive. We can swim through the current that's rushing against us, no matter what the opposition or challenges. So God, would you just continue to do a work in our midst, continue to call us out, God, and may we have hearts that are willing to go after you and say, yes, God, more than anything else, we want you. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.